Yeah, it is. But, you know, anything worth doing is hard, <laughs> you know, and it, it slow, just slowing down, listening to each other, holding each other accountable to the language we use when we describe kids is such a fundamental piece of improving the culture of the school, improving the culture of a district, raising expectations for students. It sounds sometimes almost too simple, but it really is. Just stop and think about what you're saying, right? Would you appreciate it if somebody else was talking that way about your children? You know, and the other thing I always tell people when I work with them is kids are going to make mistakes. Kids are going to fall short of their yet sometimes because they're kids. Why knowledge matters. Welcome. I'm Yannick, your host, and now joining me, Michael Roberts. Michael Roberts is an author and consultant with the more with more than two decades of experience in education. Michael has been an administrator at the district level and has served as an on-site administrator at the high school, middle school and elementary school. Prior to his stint as the director of elementary curriculum and instruction in Scottsdale, Arizona, Michael was the principal of Dursert View Elementary School in Hermiston, Oregon. Under his leadership, Desert View Elementary School produced evidence of increased learning each year from 2013 to 2017 for all students and met the challenges of 40% growth over four years, a rising population of English learners and a dramatic increase in the number of traumatic affected students. Michael contributes, attributes the success of the school to the commitment of staff to the three big ideas and the four critical questions of a professional learning community. This commitment led to a school-wide transition from me to we, a fundamental shift in thinking that has made all the difference. Michael also is author of three books. Welcome, Michael Roberts, to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Yannick. I'm excited to be here. I'm too very excited talking about your book, The Language of Possibilities. But first, let's start. Who is Michael Roberts? Um, a father, educator, um, someone whose goal is to help students be more successful. I was fortunate enough to have a long career in education and have helped lots and lots of kids, made made hundreds of connections with fantastic kids. And, and the goal is just to keep that happening as long as I possibly can, whether it's um, working with staffs uh, around the country uh, or writing books or um, coaching youth sports. Um, just I'm, a, I'm about helping kids. That's wonderful. And also actually your website is every, every kid. Yes. Every kid right? now. Yeah. Now, exactly. Every kid now.com. Wonderful. Yes. And just as an aside, what kind of uh, sports do you teach? Um, I spent 13 years coaching wrestling when I was teaching high oh. school. Um, I've also coached baseball and football right now. Um, 
my kids, uh, it's mostly coaching my kids, which is baseball and, and football. I have uh, a middle son who plays soccer, but we think he plays soccer because I don't coach it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that's not because the baseball makes sense. Foot, football makes sense. Soccer in the U.S. is not that big, but it's coming now with Messi, obviously. Yeah. It will become big too. Everything that goes to the U.S. ultimately becomes big. So wonderful. So now let's start about the language of possibility. Just the title already really inspired me. And so I, I bought it and I read it and I really felt empowered. It's such an important work. But first, what made you? write the book, the language of possibility in the first place. Yeah. So one of the things that's always, I've always been interested in is as an educator, as a building principal, um, I interviewed hundreds of teachers, a lot of them on their first job out. And when I asked them always, why do you want to be a teacher? They always said the same thing. I want to be that person for that child. I want to help the kid that nobody's connected with become a better person, become a better student. And then I've always been amazed how you go from that to 10 years into your career, 11 years into your career, saying things like, oh, these kids can't and these kids won't. And they're lazy and that sort of thing. And I always thought there had to be something in there that made that shift, right? And so during the pandemic, um, I was supporting schools all over the country uh, with professional development, but I was doing it from my office. I wasn't traveling around the country worrying about rental cars and flight delays and hotels and all that kind of stuff. So I was able to, to do day after day after day for my office. So uh, during the pandemic, I was working with one school on a Monday and, and they started talking about, we have low babies. Our problems are in our school are our low babies. And I was like, okay, don't call them that because you couldn't, shouldn't call students low. And second, if you call them babies, what can a baby do? Absolutely nothing, right? So, so you're really infantilizing them and, and that's not good. So the next day was a Tuesday and I was working with another school in a completely other part of the country. And they started talking about low babies and I was like, okay, stop. And then the Wednesday, another school in another part of the country, and they were talking about low babies. And so I said, this has to be a thing. Um, so I began to do some research on the human brain and the way we use language, the way we process language and how it actually processes our thoughts. Um, and then uh, as I got deeper and deeper into it, I contacted um, Solution Tree Publishing and said, I think I got a book here. And uh, with the help of Sarah Payne Mills, uh, who works there, uh, we, we kind of crafted it into, okay, this is an idea that, that, that can become a book. And so that's the genesis of the language of possibility, really looking at why that shift happens sometimes from, we want all kids to learn to these kids can't, and these kids won't. And it, it's a real biological kind of process that often takes place. And, and, and then once we know that we can start mitigating it. And what I also really appreciate in this book is you elaborate it very in a very sensitive manner. You're not blaming teachers at all, you know, and that's why also I think it's so important in general for teachers to really read and study your book because you're not blaming. And that's I truly appreciate that because we all know and I think who better than yourself how demanding teaching is. But now just quickly as an aside, coffee or tea? 
Coffee. Definitely coffee. Coffee. I'm very much in the Ted Lasso range of tea. It's like hot, dirty water. <laughs> okay, very good. Very good. So the book is really critical and shows how language can enhance or decrease a, a school culture and obviously also enhance students' learning or the opposite. Mm -hmm. So please elaborate on that. Yeah. So what you said is really important that oftentimes it's not teacher's fault. It's just one of the things that you kind of fall into. And it's, it's the language around a school. It's a language around a district that, that teachers fall into. And then it kind of rewires our expectations, right? Um, and is reflected in our language. And so what, what I discovered as I was doing more and more brain research is a lot of the problem is it's our amygdala. It's our amygdala's fault. Right. The little piece at the bottom of the brain that, that's centered around uh, strong emotion and um, remembering every negative thing that's ever happened to you in your life. Right. That's largely its goal. Um, and then when combined with cerebral cortex, whose job is to essentially put everything that ex you experience into a file drawer in your brain. Um, and then it, the cerebral cortex does that a lot when you're young. Right, they're creating new files all the time. As we get older, um, it starts stuffing those files. Like, oh, this kind of fits. So in it goes, in it goes. And then um, the thalamus's job is to pull those files when new experiences happen, make predictions as to what's going to happen based on uh, past experiences, so that we can take an infinite world of infinite possibilities and make it manageable for our brains. Where we run into problems as teachers oftentimes is the kids we remember the most with the most detail are the ones we struggled with the most. Every teacher is not going to connect with every kid. It's just, it's just not feasible. But the ones that you remember the most are the ones who, who caused you grief in the classroom that you didn't get along with, you didn't connect. And usually because as teachers, we, we feel the urgency to connect with every kid. And so when we don't, it sticks. Um, and so when we see other students who look like that student, act like that student, talk like that student, or has the same last name, comes from the same household, as soon as we see them, our brain instantaneously says, oh, we've seen this before. Here's what's going to happen. And we start expecting less. And that's reflected in our language, right? The As I was doing this research, though, I was thinking, I can't share this. This isn't very... This isn't very hopeful. <laughs> um, but as we continue to do the research, the, the interesting thing that, that I discovered was in the prefrontal cortex, the storage of uh, intentional learning sits directly abutted against what brain scientists have found is the center for optimism in our brain. So because of brain geography, when you learn something new, your center for optimism gets stimulated. So the more you learn, the more optimistic you can become. So the key for teachers is to continue to try to learn new things about the students that they serve, about their practice, and they'll become more optimistic typically. And so that's reflected in the language. So that's why we wanna go from what we call limiting language things that limit what students can do, talking about what they can't do, rather the language of possibility, what they can do, 
what strings they can do, because that's going to keep you in your prefrontal cortex. That's going to keep you where intentional learning lives, where optimism lives, as opposed to what they can't do, which plays on that amygdala piece and, and stays in the negative. And what we found is when when teachers and, and principals and superintendents intentionally make the shift to the language of possibility, the language of strength, they expect more. They're more optimistic. They're they're willing to try new things, and and that's the that's the shift that really uh, we need to make is get out of talking negatively, and instead make the shift to talking positively. In you will assume that teachers you know will know that and will work on that. So how comes that teachers use limiting language? in such a frequent manner oftentimes because that's the way as you as as you join a culture of a school or a district that's usually the way other people are talking about them. it's traditionally what we've the way we've talked about students right what they can't do um because again that sticks in your amygdala and so as people get ingrained in a culture where we just talk about the negative parts of students, we just fall into it because largely we are pack animals. We want to fit in with the group. And, and as a new person in organization, you're listening, you're looking for the kind of unspoken pieces of the culture to make you fit, right? How they talk, how they look, how they act. And so we see that kind of chameleon effect take place. Traditionally in schools in America, it was set up to kind of rank and spank kids. The kids who can, keep them going forward. The kids who can't, we've got places for you to go. Traditionally, uh, uh, agrarian uh, family farms in the rural areas, factories, manual labor jobs in the more urban areas. But the problem we face today is those jobs have largely gone the way of the dodo bird. They don't exist anymore and they're becoming less and less. So our challenge is helping all kids be successful, which means we've got to get a shift off of helping some kids to helping all kids, right? A quick example is students who don't speak English at home in American schools. Over the last 25 years, they've been labeled lots of different things um, in an effort to help them, right? That if you understand that a student is English language learner or English language developer or second language learner, um, you're, you adjust your instruction to help that student. But all that language is about what? What they can't do, right? They can't speak English, essentially is what we're saying. Making a shift to, for those students, um, the idea that they're halfway to bilingual one of the most sought after skill sets in 2023. Um, now you're talking about kids of strength, kids uh, who have a skill set that most of us don't have, that that's going to really benefit them down the road if they're bilingual, biliterate. Um, so one of my colleagues, Dr. Luis Cruz, came up with that idea. Let's just call them halfway to bilingual kids. Love it. That's talking about strength. That's what we want. The language of possibility. What can you do? You can you can acquire multiple languages, um, as opposed to saying, oh, well, they're they're behind in language. They're 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 learning English, so we need to teach them differently. And oftentimes, differently means lowering the bar of expectations for the students. 
And that's really what the language of possibility is about, is talking about the students in a positive way so that the bar for expectations stays high. Because if the bar of expectations is high, students are going to reach it. And the teachers who uh, we have never had a more highly trained, highly skilled set of teachers than we have had in America today. Uh, they're unsurpassed in, in, in the amount of schooling they put in, the amount of extra work they put in, extra time. They're amazing people. But um, you can fall into those kinds of traps if, if the culture says, this is how we talk about kids. That is so important because we also know the brain value system and the mirror neural system is also connected. So whatever we pay attention, we somehow unconsciously mirror it, right? And so if we have an attitude towards a, a kid, you know, that might be just in our brains, but ultimately, you know, the kid can also somehow, you know, read it. It's there's a lot of, you know, research that has been done and really yeah. your your book gives so many important insights how to actually change it. Now, the question is, how can, if you realize after reading your book, the teacher realize, okay, my language is limiting, mm -hmm. is limited when it comes to my students and my students' uh, success. What can they concretely do in order to change? Start, start being conscious about the language that you're using, right? Listen for yourself, listen for your colleagues. And when you catch yourself doing it, fix it, right? Um, I still catch myself once in a while saying things like, oh, they're English language developers. Okay, no, no, they're not. They're halfway to bilingual, right? And, and it build new habits, build neuro, new neural pathways to language that talks about student strengths. Um, it, it it's going to take some intentionality. It's going to take some time. It's going to take um, staff as a whole coming together and saying, okay, let's make these changes. It's, it's one of those things that when you begin to pay attention to it, it's everywhere. Not just at schools, but in our daily lives, talking about negatives, talking about lack of strengths rather than positive speak. And so intentionality is the key to it that that as you pay more attention to it and it and and choose your words more carefully then it it builds the pathways to the positive parts of our brain uh just like using the negative language and the limiting language takes us to the negative parts of our brain and also you elaborate this with the thalamus right i mean it's it's unbelievable that thoughts basically has the same influence neuroscientifically speaking as for example actions right so mm -hmm. that's why it's so important yeah totally because because it's all tied together right if if i'm talking about students from a position of strength right so i'm teaching a lesson i have students who aren't yet proficient right that means that they're going to be proficient yet means thus far, but you've got a place that you're going to. So if I'm always talking about these kids are not yet proficient, but they're on their way. That's very different than saying these students can't and they won't, right? The expectation with yet is that it's there. And now all we have to do is support the kids to get up, to build scaffolding so the kids can climb their way up nets in case they fall off the scaffolding that we catch them and get them back on the scaffolding 
to climb. We're not talking about lowering any expectations. We're keeping the expectations high for our students because we have uh, amazing kids across the country, uh, fantastic, wonderful kids. We just got to get them going high with the expectations and keep it there. And, and part of that is, is the way we talk about them to them, but also to our colleagues and peers. And of course, it also it demands a lot for a teacher because proximal uh, development of learning, right? As you also said, uh, it, it's so important, right? And that we have ultimately also these rewards in order to go further, right? Those dopamines when we achieve the goal and you elaborate this too in the book, you know, which is so important. More generally speaking, you know, Einstein once said, I, I don't know if it's 100% the quote that we said, but the, we get the idea. Einstein once said, you have to decide. If you either live in a hostile or in a positive or friendly universe, you know, and it's so hard today in this day and age, especially if you watch TV and whatever that you get cut off in negativity. And you see, we, we know the effect it has on us. You know, the best example to me is always like when I give, for example, an assignment to, to a student and the thing when what they always remember was like the most negative thing you know whatever it was a horrible scene or whatever they can always perfectly describe it right so there you have we have the perfect example to it you know but how can we also change that because to me that we are somehow cut off completely whether it's online for example and we have all we are all stimulated with this negativity which truly it influences us you know you know in our brain right the the, the, the neuroplasticity, right, of the brain and all those kind of stuff. How can we somehow as teachers, you know, and as administrators as you are, you know, create somehow like this thing? Of course, I 100% agree in the language of possibility really shows and gives us a tangible step how to ultimately move forward. But it's still, it's so entrenched in our culture in general. Yeah, it is, but... You know, anything worth doing is hard, <laughs> you know, and it, it slow, just slowing down, listening to each other, holding each other accountable to the language we use when we describe kids is such a fundamental piece of improving the culture of the school, improving the culture of a district, raising expectations for students. It sounds sometimes almost too simple, but it really is. Just stop and think about what you're saying, right? Would you appreciate it if somebody else was talking that way about your children? You know, and the other thing I always tell people when I work with them is kids are going to make mistakes. Kids are going to fall short of their yet sometimes because they're kids. Right. If you think about yourself at 12 or at nine or at 18, you, the mistakes that you made, your thought process at that time were really incomplete, especially at 18, where you feel like you look like an adult, but looking back on it now at however old we are, you, I think most of us will agree. I wasn't an adult at 18. I wasn't even close. Right. So, so expect those kinds of goofy things to happen with kids because they're kids. They're going to do those things. That doesn't mean that they're bad. It doesn't mean that they can't be successful. It means that they're humans and they're going to make mistakes. So we need to keep focused on the positive. Let's look at what's 
working and emphasize that. Let's talk about their strengths. Let's give them opportunities. I was working with a team in um, Louisiana. It was a, a, a science team. It was a small school. So, so it was all the science teachers. There were four of them in one room and they were having a collaborative team meeting and they were complaining about the kids about 10 minutes. These kids can't, these kids won't, this is awful. They won't try. Da, 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 da. So I let him go for a little bit and then, and then I stopped him and I said, you guys have done a good job of laying out what they can't do. Can someone please tell me one thing they can do? And they stared at each other with kind of weird looks on their faces for a couple minutes. And then one of them went, they can talk. And I said, okay, so talk to me more about that. What's that mean they can talk? And the teacher said, if I ask them a question and I give them time to talk with a peer, those answers are really good. I said, okay. And the other teacher said, yeah, my class too, my class too, my class too. So then the question was, can we give them more opportunities to talk, get those thoughts out, and then train them to get it from their brain to their to their hand to put it on the paper? And they were like, oh, we can try that. Like, great, that's a start. We're taking a strength. We're getting out of the negative language. These kids can't, these kids won't, they won't try. Two, what's one thing that they can do? Let's start with a positive piece. And let's build off of that. Let's build off of the strength. I went back a couple months later and they were significantly better. The, the, the kids were much more engaged. They had a lot less issues in the classroom with engagement because they were giving them the opportunity to use their strengths. And, and the teacher discussion about the kids had completely changed from these kids can't, these kids won't, da, 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 to I'm so excited they're moving forward. This kid has been successful. That student has been successful. And it, it all starts with that one piece. Let's talk about what they can do, right? Let's get to the, let's get off the negative and on the positive. And sometimes, especially like you said, in the world we live in today, where negative is the easy place to go, that it, you have to be intentionally positive sometimes. What was the most rewarding part of writing the language of possibilities? Any book that I've written, and this is this is my third, the most rewarding part is um, when I go somewhere or I get an email or um, run into somebody who's read the book who says, this has really helped me as a teacher. It's made my teaching easier. More kids are engaged, more kids are learning, right? I very much became a teacher to help as many kids as I possibly could. I became an administrator because I could help a whole school at the same time, more kids. Um, I moved to the district office to help more kids, right? And began writing books and traveling the country doing professional development so I could help even more. That's the goal. And that's the most rewarding part because at the end of the day, if I'm writing books um, and it's not helping people, then it's there's kind of no point. It's, it's for me and no one else. And, and the goal is for it to help people, to make a very, very difficult job easier, to help more students be more successful. That's, that's it. That's, that's the end goal. And that's by far the most rewarding part. Yeah, I can, I can tell, you know, while reading your book, it's a really such an important contribution and it gives you so much to think about it, but also actually tangible tools 
in order to improve your teaching and also the view you and experience life in general you know so thank you so much really best advice for a teacher to keep sane and healthy stay positive right stay positive find the good people on staff that still enjoy the job still enjoy the kids um every staff i've ever been on has a few people who have lost that joy right they're there to do the job um but the problem is they don't do it nearly as effective as they could because they've lost that piece that that initial piece i want to be a teacher right i talk a little bit in one of the vignettes in in the book uh, about all of us had that thought at one point you know, before an interview, our first year of teaching, that was just like, if they'll just give me a chance, I can do amazing things. Just give me a chance. And sometimes 15 years, 20 years in, you lose that spark. So to stay positive, stay with the people who have that spark. Talk about that spark. Talk about the joys that come with teaching because it's a really, really hard job and really underappreciated. We all know that but it's also the most amazing job, right? When you see the light go on in a kid's eyes, when when you see them at the mall, when there were malls, when, when you see them out on the street and they're like, I loved your class. Um, I really enjoyed your class. One of the best compliments I ever got from a, a young lady once was she came up to me at the mall, um, this is many, many years ago, and she said, yours was the best class I ever failed. <laughs> And she said, she said, but I'm not failing classes anymore and, and I'm going to be a teacher. And she's like, so would you be happy if I was on staff with you? I'm like, totally. You're an amazing kid, you know, and, and take those moments. Stay in the front part of your brain. Don't let the amygdala override all those good things that come. Because at the end of the day, the kids that stick in the amygdala are by far the, the, the smallest percentage of kids. It might be 5% of the kids that you ever teach across the career. That means there's literally thousands of other kids who were really good kids who learn from you. So don't lose sight of those because those are the ones that you're doing the job for. What makes you feel alive? That light that goes on in, in, in the eyes of, of kids when I work with them, adults when I work with them. Um, my kids, right? Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to watch them um, play sports, dance, do do theater. I love to watch them and the joy that they have in attacking life at 15, 13, and 11, right? They All three of my kids attack life and, and I love that. That's, that's what really brings joy to me um, because I remember at that age, my scope of the world was very small and 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 really enjoying where they're at that's that's what really excites me such a pleasure thank you so much michael roberts for being on the show such a blessing and thank you so much for your gift the language of possibilities thank you yannick michael roberts that's why knowledge Make you lie.
a masterpiece. Visit now programs.d-ykm.com.